0: And we're live with our 150th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to our Susca centennial I think that's how you say it, episode of Absolute AppSec. Uh, when Ken and I started this a few years ago, I, I'm pretty sure Jerry was our first guest. So it's rather apropos that he's on and speaking with us again today, even it, even if it is under such, you know, uh, shameful uh, circumstances on what's going on in Missouri, but, but we'll get into that um, here in a little bit. Um, as far as uh, announcements go, uh, we don't have a lot that's um, coming up outside of online activities. Uh, you know, I was at St. Con, and actually there is B-Side Salt Lake City that's coming up at the beginning of December. I'll be there as well. It's been mostly local conferences for me. I don't know about the the rest of you here on the podcast. I know Jerry and I tried to meet up at Defcon and then I had, you know, life takeover, but uh hopefully we'll be able to do that again soon. Um Jerry, I, like we'll, we'll jump to you first. Is is there anywhere that you're headed or looking anything you're looking forward to in uh, the near future
2: coming up at the end of uh at the end of November, right? So that'll be interesting to see how how that goes. Uh, it feels like it's going to be the the first big conference, tech conference that that they're hosting. Seems like they're trying to go all out. So we'll see how it goes. Especially after they they called off uh, reinforced, I think is what they they call their security conference in yep. in the summer, right? So so we'll see how this goes. That's the the next big one. And then I'm uh, doing a workshop. At B-Sides London on using Jupyter Notebooks uh, for security stuff. We're going to talk about digging through NVD records and the DNS top 1 million.
1: Very cool. Yeah, I didn't realize, I, and that's a good call out, right? Like I've seen everything as virtual up to this point, and I didn't realize that AWS was going to be in-person. I mean, the the forward CloudSec stuff was here in Salt Lake City You know, a couple of months ago. They did have an in-person component to that, but most people seem to to watch that and stream that one live or online, I should say. Um, I don't know. I may have to get down there. Uh, that, that, that's a tough one for me because it's so close, right? You know, yeah. Vegas isn't that far away, so it should be. You know, if you're gonna be down there, let me. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll chat. Maybe we'll do some sort of a meetup, and I'm sure gonna, there's gonna be other people in our circles that'll be around.
2: It's but. also has to be a huge moneymaker for AWS because I just paid for that ticket and it was eighteen hundred dollars. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah now i'm really gonna have to think about it because that's a little steep right that's yeah. <laughs>
0: uh anyway but you get like a free echo dot or something right
1: <laughs> yeah the free 50 dollars piece of tech right? <laughs> that costs them 20 dollars to make yeah
0: exactly. they do have some dope swag though i will give them
1: that yeah they do well yeah i mean for 1800
0: yeah they should how, how much swag does jerry have at this point given how much you've you've traveled and gone to like t- not just security conferences, but just like a ton of conferences. I've, I imagine you've got like boxes of this stuff at this point. I've really stopped picking
2: it up just because I don't know. I, I saw a documentary on on where that stuff goes when you donate it, and it ends up in places that it doesn't need. Like you know, you you get a shirt and then you donate it to to whatever your favorite charity is, and then they sell it by the pound, and it gets shipped to. To Asia or somewhere in Africa. So you're just doing the planet a ton of harm is kind of what I ended up reading, like by just picking them up. So I just say no thank you at at this point to to swag.
0: Oh, I didn't. I, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That makes, (laughs) that does make sense. It's, it's got to go somewhere. And, but like you would think that it, yeah, I, I guess we don't have to spend a ton of time talking about it, but yeah, you would think that at least like, um, it wouldn't be a harmful thing if you to donate it, but it sounds like it is. <laughs> so, it's just because
2: of where, how they ship it and stuff. I don't, yeah. I don't.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I could
2: do a toast swag, but I, yeah, uh, it's hoodies and business suits. So, so not a lot of use for shirts at this point.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, it, that was it. Like at some point, you know, in my like conference attendance career, right? Like I, I in, unless the shirt is one that I was going to wear, I just, I stopped picking it up right like you know you start to fill them and you're like okay is it high quality or is it just yeah anyway yeah That's for not... a
2: while someone did a thing where they could scan you they gave you a token and you could drop it i think it was at DevCon or black hat you could like drop the token into eff or hackers for charity or whatever and they gave them like a dollar for every token they got in their pot so basically what they would have spent on a shirt or swag anyway just they Ask were just
1: the donating podcast. it to a, to an actual charity. Yeah. That's yeah. A, I mean, I, I, it's a good call. Right. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens as the conference industry comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know at St. Con, I did see, again, I saw a lot of t-shirts and a lot of, you know, just your standard swag pens and yeah. Yeah. If it
2: comes back, that's, that'll be, a, that's a question. Like our conference is going to happen in the same way. I think, People have got so used to to online conferences now.
0: I hope that there is a hallway con again, at least, or an option for it. You know, that's at least my hope. Uh, That's, I don't mean, you know, miss hanging out with all you folks. I think the podcast has kept us somewhat connected to people, but, uh, you know, it's not the same. So it would be nice to see people face to face. Yeah,
1: that's that. that that's kind of where I'm at too, right? Is I like the I like having the ability to stream the conferences, especially the stuff that you can't get to because anymore, right? There's a conference every other week, especially with all the B sides conferences that are going on. I there's a lot of good content that's coming out that you know we were missing, or the people were traveling the circuit, so you'd catch them, you know, halfway through there, like after they were giving whatever talk it was, um, and it's easier to stay up to date with that with that research and what's being presented but i do miss the hallway con right that's the the, those connections like the stuff that we do at conferences that isn't necessarily a presentation um i mean it's great to be home and you know do family stuff and life stuff as well so there's a trade-off either way
0: yeah yeah I had yeah. a question for you. I do have a question for 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 uh, for Jerry about um, co- sort of since it's been so long since we started the podcast and had our last conversation and so much has happened in the world and everything. So, has anything changed for? Because when we first you know had you on the podcast and last time we talked, you were pretty knee deep in um, building. Um, tools and and just uh yeah yeah really honestly building a lot of productivity tools and, and it felt like a lot of it also was stuff that you were using uh at work it was very necessary but it was helpful to others so you would open source so has anything changed in that dynamic for you over the years have you changed roles and like is is it still kind of the same thing um but yeah just how how have things uh, evolved for you over the last uh, few years
2: uh yeah I mean it was interesting uh 6 months ago uh we were acquired by Cisco Systems so I am now part of the the big tech scene now right um it's changed it's interesting we're only 6 months in so we're kind of getting our feet wet and kind of going from you know two layers of abstraction where you know I reported to to Ed Bellis who was a co-founder so basically he had you know forever Say so, like if I wanted to go somewhere, I like to joke with people like my approval process was a thumbs up emoji and you know, <laughs> black for about anything I wanted to purchase or do. And, you know, now I work at a company with 70,000 employees, so so it's different. So, so we're figuring that out and trying to, to grow into that and kind of understand that. But at a, another point, it gives us a lot more flexibility and the ability to really bring risk-based vulnerability management to, to a wider audience that we probably never would have reached as 150-person startup. So, so, you know, it depends on how you want to look at it. It was good for me, to be completely honest, and, and I'm, I'm glad to be part of Cisco and looking forward to seeing where we, where we build it out and how we bring risk-based vulnerability management and, you know, EDR to, to everyone over the next year, year and a half or however long.
0: It's nice when you go into an organization like for 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 us with uh with GitHub and the Microsoft acquisition it's nice when you go into an organization and they're like hey you were successful uh doing what you did so continue doing that but here's more support and resources and like I think people assume that when you get acquired cuz I, I had a lot of people like oh you know hey reaching out privately, like, Hey, I, I hope everything, like, almost like I, I lost a, yeah. a uh, lost someone or something. And I was like, uh, it's not that at all. Like nothing has changed. And then when I was interviewing people for, for, uh, positions, uh, post acquisition, um, they, you know, it was always kind of the same question, like, Oh, what? like, what's changed? How is it? And it's like, well, if the company that acquired you knows what they're doing, they probably are going to let you continue to do what made you successful in the first place. And then just you know provide you more resources and support. And then there's of course there's like you know everybody's financially doing well, so it's 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 actually a, a more positive in, in our case. I would imagine it's positive you know positive for you all as well so far.
2: Yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. Your culture is still your culture, right? And that doesn't change overnight. And you know, yeah, of course there are things that that are different when you work for a big company, but but you would expect it to be right, like you can't provide health insurance for 70,000 people by the, you know, by the VP of HR, making sure that everybody's filled out their, their paperwork. So.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. There's no artisanally handcrafted. Yeah. But I think that was, that was one thing for us too, is that the healthcare change. And, uh, but I think that was pre-acquisition actually. So I might be wrong there, but yeah, it's like you said, as, as it grows, it's harder to do stuff like that. But, uh, so overall, uh, you know, your role, has it changed much or is it still pretty similar?
2: No, I'm the director of research now, so we're kind of digging in. I think that, that I just made that move the last time we talked, but we're really, really trying to to work and to figure out what we're, you know, the explosion of NVD, uh, the number of CVEs that, that are coming out is exploding thanks to a certain CNA that that one of the two of you work at.
0: And, uh, <laughs> wait, wait, is that me, Jerry? Is that me? I don't, I don't know. Okay, you know sorry. <laughs> I, I, it's funny. I've, I've seen you, you bring this up and I actually didn't, uh, I didn't make the connection at the time. I, I saw you brought this up, how it's reported, but anyway, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, uh, but uh, you had mentioned like formatting and like, you know, I think you had had some asks around formatting maybe or something like that. I yeah. Guess. Yeah.
2: So we're just, uh, we're trying to make sure that the data that goes into NVD is clean because clean data in, clean data out. And, and right now, just the CVE data is, isn't in the best shape um, because I think the people who who report the data don't always understand how it's being used. We're dealing with Microsoft issue right now. They've switched to, to Chromium-based browser and Edge and they haven't got the CPE right and, you know, in six months. So if you're using NVD data to make sure that your Chromium Edge is up to date, you, you can't do it at this point. So, so it's stuff like that. So the more data we get into NVD, which is always a good thing, uh, the cleaner it needs to be and the better it needs to be. So we're really, really trying to work with companies to make sure that the data that they get into to, to NVD is, is as high quality as it can be because it's starting to, to drive everything else It's starting to drive, you know, integration models with OS query for vulnerabilities. And and to be honest, the biggest thing and and what GitHub is doing is really helping too with the CNA because everybody is going to software bill of materials now. And a key point of a software bill of materials is to be able to, to run that back all the way to vulnerabilities that are on there, right? So just knowing what's in a software package or on an IoT device is okay, but but the key step is taking that, that S bomb, decoupling it, pulling out either the packages or the CPEs that are listed in there or should be listed in there, and then turning that into a list of CVEs. And then from there seeing, you know, hey, are these actual CVEs I should care about, right? Applying that risk-based vulnerability management layer on top and saying, Oh yeah, this router has three CVEs that are that have uh, Code on the internet, the exploit code on the internet, right? So this is a big deal. We need to patch this right away, and that's where where software bill of materials really is such a game changer for everything. And, and and we're really digging into that, and I'm spending time on that, just trying to to make sure that whatever comes out of that is 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 usable by everyone, right? Because it's not secret sauce. It's supposed to be public. Everybody's supposed to do it. So the better we get software bill of materials. And the better we get the data in the NVD, the easier it is for all companies to match that up and to help with vulnerability.
0: Yeah. Do you have a contact at GitHub uh, regarding the CVEs and, and
2: uh, write-ups? Yeah, uh, JP and, and Slack. No, I, <laughs> I, I think that GitHub has a CNA address that I email when, when we see issues.
0: Okay, well, let me know because I actually... Uh, Yeah, I I can put you in connection with some of those folks. So just after Uh, the podcast. Yeah,
2: Yeah. GitHub is doing a great job. The the thing that I give GitHub a little bit of a hard time about, and it's not really a hard time, it's that they allow people to to request uh, CVEs for any open source project now. So a Python script that I have written or something, if there's a vulnerability in there, somebody can request a CVE for that. And, Since CVEs never go away, there could be a CVE that GitHub CNA, you know, released that is now in the data set forever. And at some point it's going to explode and those data sets are going to become so big, they're only going to be machine readable, basically, or machine, you know, because you're not going to be able to follow the data when it gets that big. Because we're averaging uh, 60 CVEs a day for the first time ever this year.
0: Yeah. yeah. Wow. But well, that is a lot of data to aggregate. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I mean I keep going back to, you know, most of the when when you talk about clean data, right? And even software bill materials, but uh, clean data, especially, you know, uh, having that many reports on a daily basis, I start thinking about bug bounty programs and like the reports that come in and the data that it looks like and, yeah. you know, people classifying things poorly. And yeah, I can't imagine trying to wrangle that on a bigger level as it gets, it gets more and more difficult, right? And to make sure that people
2: know that they're having CVEs reported against their software, that was something I ran into earlier this year. There really? was an Alpine uh, CVE that was released, and somebody went and reported it against a bunch of Docker containers for large companies. And I'm like reaching out to these people, say, "Hey, you need to to you know dispute this CVE because it's in the OS." And they're like, "We didn't even know somebody filed that, right? Because there's no <laughs> there's no file there's no." kind of reporting mechanism as of yet. So if I report a CVE on your software that it's required to to tell you that it's open.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean I mean honestly it sounds like hey I think about Rainforest Puppy years and years ago and responsible disclosure and how
0: like or are ruining was, that. No, I'm joking. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it's been
1: ruined from day one, right? Like he was the original, you know, infosec narcissist or like whatever you want to call it, right? Nihilist.
0: Nihilist. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. And I, I mean, it, it doesn't feel like much has changed because I mean, we do have NVD and kind of that, you know, that source of truth, quote unquote, now. But uh, as far as reporting goes and the processes around it, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have much else to say there. On the on the software bill of materials section though, I it's it's interesting that we struggle with that across the board. I'm thinking about recent like code reviews and other things that I do and even being able to tell like looking at a code base what dependencies, frameworks, libraries are in use is so incredibly hard unless I get some sort of a package.json that is proper. I, like I can't imagine doing that across a full operating system, a full IoT device, and having everything enumerated properly, right? um And I'm sure that's what we're running into with a lot of the CVEs as well, and what you're seeing.
2: Yeah, and then where do you stop is also a good question because um I think GitHub is a Ruby shop too, and, and I work in a Ruby shop. I know if you try to build a uh, build a gem file and you tell it 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 can go forever deep just because of all the interdependencies and you know and they haven't come up with a good solution for s-bombs yet right do you only need to list the core dependencies and then is it up to the reader to go and figure out that you know package a also contains package a b a c and a d and then and then where do you stop and then how do you know? And then the other question that nobody's answered yet that I think is kind of a, the next kind of billion-dollar idea on software is to kind of take that mapping to another level. Even though, you know, your main package A uses package A, B, is it what function out of A, B is it using? Is it using the whole, is it using the whole package or is it just using this one little sub package so then this vulnerability really doesn't matter, right? And then, if you take that down four or five different levels, it, it could be – it gets really tricky because, you know, you can't reship a whole IoT device because, you know, a part of a package that, that's four four layers deep that you don't use is, is
0: vulnerable, right? Like, oh, man. I can't wait till – okay, so <laughs> – all of what you're saying we're investing time in and uh uh stefan edwards is leading uh an internal charge for for some things uh is the most i can say now but uh man i can't wait till we can uh share share some more there because you're absolutely i'm just sitting here like yes 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 exactly like that's well, I, absolutely and that, correct and yeah so yeah I, that yeah. was gonna be my
1: question <laughs> is what, you're, what are you guys doing with npm right uh, that because you probably can't talk about it, but uh. that, that, that's what I go to is these packages. <laughs> that's exactly managers. yeah. What what are the software bill of materials? What do you know? Like what dependencies are there? I, like right. And it, I mean that was always why I was so you know excited about what you guys do, Jerry. Is this this whole like distillation of is this really important to me? Because I I struggled with that when I was internal to organizations. Is the developers would come and say, hey, we want to use framework X. And I, I'd i go and pull up the open CVEs and I'm like, dude, that one looks awful. And they're like, well, we're just using this one function out of it. And I'm like, all right, so should I approve this? Because that one function is not in the list of things that is there or like, are we gonna get flagged by whoever like whatever compliance org comes in and sees that we're using a vulnerable version of jQuery even though we don't use the vulnerable functions that are included in it. Uh, The the mapping to figure that out was incredibly complex. And we could usually make make the case as developers because we understood what was going on behind the scenes. But at some point you don't want to have that fight, right? Uh, The compliance people don't understand. They have their checklist and they're like, oh, you're using a vulnerable version. You're out, right? Um, So so who's going to come up with this mapping? You're going to figure out how to do static analysis for that, Jerry?
2: Well, I, I was hoping that that GitHub's working on that. that that's what yeah, 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 yeah. Ken, come on,
0: come on. Lab. <laughs> give, give us stuff some stuff is test. happening. Magic fingers, ooh. like ooh, <laughs> stuff is happening. But yeah, believe me, I'm nodding my head so hard. You're absolutely right, Jerry. Like everything you said is spot on. Uh, just all I can say is agreed and yes. <laughs> so that's what I'll. That's what I'll say. That's all. That's amazing. Yeah, that's that's very cool. You're spot on. Uh, it, it is a weird. It is it, it is such a weird thing to me, just given how much of the world is dependent upon some random person's, you know, code out there, uh, on Bitbucket, GitHub, GitLab, whatever, you know, and, and it's just it's 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 very crazy. Um, That's probably yeah. one of
2: my favorite XKCD comics ever. Was like modern software development, and then like the the Keystone is some guy in Nebraska who you know who wrote something three years ago
0: it may not even be be maintained anymore it's just like but yeah it's like the underpins the the whole everything of of some sort of uh set of dependencies multiple dependencies rely on that underlying library uh, oh yeah thank you for sharing Jerry's uh twitter handle let me put that on there as well yeah uh jerry uh i'm going to move uh at times the camera around so don't be if we if you, it looks like it's just you that's why
1: we we just left you to run it by yourself that's all it is yeah
0: that would be a bad move
1: <laughs> awesome yeah. okay cool um so uh, all right so we, we we've kind of talked through the the Cisco acquisition um i mean is there anything else on like on that side of the house that you would like to talk about or any upcoming features or new stuff that you're excited about that that was my other question is Given now the resources that Cisco provides to you, what are you guys planning? Uh,
2: you know, uh, I still want to work at Cisco, so I'm not cleared by product to, to <laughs> kind of announce. <enough>. Like, Boom!
1: <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh,
2: God. Stuff's coming. It's going to be great. I, I will let you guys know as soon as as soon as it is available. But but we're doing a lot of cool stuff behind the scenes, and that, that I'm hoping to get into product as soon as possible. Yeah.
1: Cool. Yeah. I would imagine having access to, you know, the resources that Cisco has the data that they've got, that there's some interesting, what is the corporate term synergies that, uh, that would go into it right? Yeah. as far as what, yeah.
2: I yeah. mean, we have one of the largest sensors installed in the world, right? Like snort is a Cisco company. We have one of the best red teams in the world under roof and Talos, right? Like it, it's really starting, uh, you know, basically every time I go to look for data, you go and look at a list and and Cisco has one of the top companies in that field internally. So, so it's, it's good to have data that close to, to your fingertips, you know, kind of in the family.
1: Yeah. Cool. Well, good. Then we won't ask more questions. We'll just watch and you can, you can let us know, right? Like jump into the Slack channels uh, and all the things. And, you know, of course, as you guys release, we're, We'll we'll pay attention to that. So, all right. So so let's let's switch switch over and talk about something fun, right? Synergies. There you go. Drink good, Chris. Um, Missouri. <laughs> I, I
2: would like to sincerely apologize to <laughs> all security professionals for the behavior of our governor over the last uh, two weeks. It, it's been embarrassing, and. And hurtful to to, to a bunch of people. Uh, Also to the people who work at the state of Missouri, I I used to to work adjacent to the state of Missouri. And and I know that those people are underpaid and and overworked. And to have this kind of thrust upon the the technical people isn't exactly reflective of their skills and talent. Uh, Yeah, if you didn't know, the Missouri governor is trying to have a, a St. Louis Post-Dispatch journalist arrested for properly disclosing the fact that the DESE teacher lookup included uh, their social security numbers base 64 encoded in the HTML response. It wasn't loaded on the page or anything, a poorly written application, the the reporter reported it correctly, reported it to the Desi to Desi so they could fix it and held the store until it was and, and then ran it. The governor did what people who don't have good guidance in security issues did. He came out and he spotted off at the mouth and like, you know, he the cops worked for him. So instead of threatening to call the cops, he had the cops stand behind him at the press conference when he said that that he was going to get him in trouble. Um, If you've been in any kind of security research or hacker adjacent, any time in your life, you have probably ran into a situation like this where you're trying to do the right thing. And somebody responds back, I'm calling the cops. Right. Like most of the time we know we have, you know, EFF on our side. Right. Like, and then we're able to understand that, that nothing's going to happen. But in this case, the cops report to him, right? So they say investigate it. He ha- they have to investigate it, and you know, I-, I don't know all the politics that's around it. Maybe I don't think the San Louis Post Dispatch likes him very much, but I- it doesn't change what the what the reporter did. What the reporter did was was on par and you know above board. So just kind of an embarrassing situation all around.
1: Yeah, I, I I mean the fact that we're talking about it is fairly interesting because the the, the amount of breaches that happen on a you know daily basis now, um, and we, we talked Desi and it was what three social security numbers that were base sixty four encoded, yeah. and it's getting as much press as yeah some of the, the large large you know millions of breaches you know millions of social yeah. breaches that we've seen in the past. Um, but I, I think, think it's,
0: it's getting coverage because of the stupidity of the situation.
1: Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. It is right. Like the that. I think that's why it's bubbled up so much is he's actually created more of a problem by the response than than the incident in and of itself.
0: <laughs> Leisure suit Larry case study for how not to handle an incident. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, they kind
1: of like
2: crossed it over between two two groups of people who feel like they're picked on all the time anyway, tech people and journalists. So like right. those <laughs> groups have been like up in arms over over this over the last two weeks. It's it's ridiculous. And he needs some he needed some guidance and it didn't help that the state CISO quit the Friday before this happened to, to take another role, right? Like bad timing so i don't know who was there giving him advice or whatever and, you know and maybe it's somebody smarter than me maybe this place this base or place to to whatever you know maybe he's playing 40 chess and i'm just digging around in each you know i don't
0: just no yeah. just no no. <laughs> no absolutely not yeah. yeah i yeah i don't know right like it
1: i, I it, it, it's a consistent, there's a constant problem, right? The, the people in management roles that don't necessarily understand the tech, but think they do enough to make, you know, these wide ranging just decisions. And um, I mean, partially it's because we do look to them for these leadership roles and to make leadership decisions. So at some point, I'm sure someone has asked him, hey, what should we do about this technology? Um, and so like we, we are overconfident or they are overconfident in their abilities to assess the situation and what needs to be done. Uh, but I don't know, right? Like, man, I, I, I just don't know how to, how it could have gone better, right? You're thinking about you're in an advisement role. Yeah. You know, How do you actually control that, that leader that's supposedly, uh, that's making those decisions that make that's making those proclamations, right. Even as a CISO, even, but especially as a technologist or an individual contributor, uh, you you know, that those guys are just rubbing their heads on their desks or slamming their heads against a wall after he comes out and does that. So what do you do to change that situation?
2: Yeah. And the megaphone there is huge, but I think we've all been in that situation. I I clearly remember, being in a place that had a DDoS attack and the, the leader wanted me to call the FBI. And I'm like, we can do this. Like, but let me tell you what the FBI is going to do. They're going to come in here, ask for a bunch of stuff that we probably don't have. And at the end of the day, they're going to tell you the exact same stuff that are that we're telling you, right. That, that these attacks came from VPNs overseas. And, and it's likely that they're not going to spend the effort to go and try to get a warrant to see if they have logs and track it back right like it's better off to just drop it and it just it doesn't work all the time and and sometimes they just think that you know that they want to do it that they want to take those kind of we're going to go after people and it's definitely bad in missouri because the governor's an ex-sheriff from you know a rural area so like he definitely has the background of nobody does this in my county, son, kind of stuff,
0: and you know. Got the hammer and nail approach.
1: Well, I I mean, being able to identify who actually did it, I think probably just it just escalated the situation, right? So, you know, press versus uh, politicians, there's already sort of an antagonistic relationship there, and oh, sweet, I have a lever to actually pull against you, which is Uh, you know, I can say, I can stick the police after you or whatever, but I mean, it goes back to the, like, you reminded me of uh, situations that I've had in the past where, you know, working at a, at a large bank, you know, had a bunch of breach data that, you know, we're getting hit up to pay for and tracking people back, ending up in, you know, off some Russian, uh, whatever, right. Like IP address, um, and the C- CEO told us, okay, take that to the FBI. And just getting laughed off the phone by the FBI. They're like, what, what do you want us to do? Right? And we're like, well, look, we've got the IP address. we got this guy's phone number. We know where he is. They're like, yeah, he, he's in Russia. Right? Like, uh, yeah. Good job. Right? Like, maybe block his IP. Right? <laughs> like, it was just a, a realization well,
0: that they don't have a lot that they can do. Yeah. that That may have been the case then, but... I will say this. So on the flip side of this, Chris Gates and I did a talk at the Department of Justice in like roughly I want to say 2016. So we okay. visited their headquarters in downtown DC. We were there for an all day. We were guests doing a guest speaker slot as part of like an all day cybersecurity DOJ event. Um, and they had on the head of FBI's cybersecurity wing and okay. He he discussed how um, because of the exactly what you talked about just now, Seth, because of the historical sort of response to these things prior to them having anybody who knew anything about cybersecurity, the, they, they burned a bunch of relationships. And uh, I mean, he said it in a much nicer way than that, but I'm kind of paraphrasing. But uh, they find it difficult to get companies to come to them um, and they want that information specifically. Uh, because these actors tend to, you know, they're repeat actor. Uh, organized crime, right? So, in order to combat organized crime, you have to have the the. It's kind of like it's kind of like sadly catching a serial killer, right? Where you you kind of have to get four five murders into it, and patterns get established and things like that. And it's no different, really, um, in the sense of establishing patterns. And so they want people to come forward more often. Uh, th- than not now, so, so they want to data, repair They're that. not
2: going to be able to help you, though, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: They, they, yeah, they want the data. Well I, well, I mean, you're starting to see like, yeah, <laughs> I'm never going to be together. one.
0: Oh, sorry, right. what's that? Yeah, you're never going to be one. Go ahead. No, I'll... No, no, I'm never, I'm never, I'm never going to be one to be like, oh, go FBI. But I will say they did they did mention that now their capabilities are such that they they have done a much better job in tracking down folks and if you had give, come to them now with like an ip and a, you know ip address and, and some more information i think that they they would not have an issue but anyways sorry
1: yeah well i i mean i think they would start to correlate that but i i mean at the time um i mean we're talking like early 2000s Um, Like their tech capabilities just weren't what they are today. I know that, you know, I'm sure some of that's changed. But what started to happen is uh, organizations in those different um, fields. So like banks were starting to get together and actually share that data amongst themselves. Right. It became more of a, all right, we're going to create kind of a fraud group that's, uh, that's built across multiple organizations. And if you get hit with one, you'll notify us. We'll notify you, we'll share that across so that they're not able to take advantage of us. So industry almost came up with a solution that, that worked. And I'm sure they're, they've got more law enforcement involvement now than they did back then. But that was one of the solutions. That was the only way that we could go. Because we could see the patterns on website, our our own infrastructure of what was going on. But we couldn't see it across the you know the community at large.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think that's what, uh, at least in America, that's the role CISA is trying to fill. Uh, Jen's doing a good job over there, trying to get out data in a timely manner. So,
1: yep. Yeah, and and it should like it's 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 definitely gotten better. I I mean I'm not as involved with it as I once was, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, do, do they feed stuff much into NVD or anything like that? Are you looking at any of that? Jerry? Uh,
2: not, not really. Um, what they do though, do though, is release reports about quarterly or every other month about what CVEs they're seeing attacked constantly. Like what, you know, Russia is using this CVE We you see North Korea using this CVE. And it kind of, it kind of helps us two ways, right? It, it allows us to kind of point to these CVEs and say, Hey, look, uh, if you're spending your money on quote unquote zero-day protection and not taking care of what your you know you know what should have been patched six months ago, you're missing out because go look at those reports. All those CVE numbers start 2019. Some of them are even like 2017. They're using old CVEs and old proof of concept exploits. Uh, everybody wants to to make these APT groups sound like they're they're doing super secret kind of stealth hacker stuff but we're not seeing that especially from the report and we're seeing you know standard POCs, standard cves that we're already telling people that they need to take care of that we know that there's there's code on the internet being being the entry point over and over again for for these major breaches and, and malware and ransomware attacks
1: yeah you say that and then I, now i'm like knee deep into Cisa.gov looking at their analysis report, analysis reports, right? Um, cause it's, it's interesting data, uh, even from a, like an application security perspective, right? Like what's actually, what's actually being targeted. Again, we're going back to what you do on a daily basis, but what's actually being targeted and is actually a threat to, to my application. What should I be concerned about? Right? Like, um, most of the low hanging fruit that gets exploited are things like credential stuffing, right? Yeah. It's, you know, we're just gonna go take over an account because we already have these usernames and passwords. So we're gonna go for it. Or, yeah. you know, we've cool. already developed a proof of concept on how this can run remote code in Nginx. I'm just gonna go take that and dump that into my payload and then run it against the web at large and take over what I can. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because it looks like some of this some of the stuff that's in there in their analysis, you know, it's old CGIs. It's not like yeah. It's 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 nothing that groundbreaking. Um exactly what we expect. I don't know. I mean, Ken, are you monitoring any of that on your end? Um I mean, I know you guys do more like custom stuff, but
0: No, not really, to be honest with you, no. And it wouldn't fall within I think somebody somebody certainly is i'm just saying not me personally so somebody yes yes yeah yes. absolutely like we we would be remiss if we did not do that
1: yeah yeah i i just wasn't sure how to take that into account right uh, you know we, we we talk about this on the when we talk about doing secure code reviews we you know or application assessments that we've got to look at the open cves um but i don't i don't know we don't necessarily take it that far right um, it's more of a, Hey, there's an open CV for jQuery, right? Like I keep going back to jQuery, but that's the easy one, you know, low hanging fruit cause it's in everything, um, go patch it, but I, we don't necessarily do like a full risk analysis on it. I, you know, I don't know if you do that, like, um, on the prodsec side of things, are you approving new packages and frameworks then as people pull them in, or is it just mostly, if you want to
0: use it, go for
1: it and we'll tell you after the fact.
0: Are you asking me or Jerry? Uh either one. Start with you. Then we can flip over to Jerry. Um, so we have we have Dependabot internally, and we obviously have um yeah, we've got other tooling to monitor for, you know, like you said, yes, we're keeping up to date on like new things that come out, making sure that um we don't have anything vulnerable to it. And if we do, we do an update. But um yeah, I, I in terms of doing an analysis, you know, on, I guess it's kind of just more of uh, going with its, its, its risk, you know, risk score that was given. Um, I don't, I don't know how much, frankly, I'm just not in the weeds on, on how much analysis goes on there, but uh, yeah, we do keep everything up to date on new stuff that's coming out. And um, yeah, it's, it's pretty. Now for, in terms of what you can use, uh, we have a, um there's very there it's there's not really a whole lot of hard um there's loose guidelines. So if for instance you're gonna use a crypto library, uh if it's got three people that start it and it's been online for like two months and uh such, we've got some loose guidelines that are like that might be a, a warning sign, you know, that might be an issue. Um don't use that. Uh so there's loose guidelines and um that's I, I think. Again, I think it's that's pretty much it. Um we we now, but you and I you and I talked about paved paths like was it last A couple episode weeks ago. or the episode before uh, something like that? And paved paths are absolutely now that's less library specific. That's more just like um, yeah, just you know, frameworks and technology stacks. And yes, we have our working groups for these different languages and frameworks, and we we recommend that people use that. However, there are times where say you know, node Ruby golang is not enough. So we've seen rust. We've seen things come through that are like, you know, highly efficient and they're very fair for a very specific reason. And our job is not to say no. Our job is to say, well, how do we then, you know, be flexible enough to, to, to meet business needs. That's a business need. It's not something that I'm going to sit there and tell you, you can't use that language. I just need to make sure that we're doing our best job, making sure your architecture is sound. We're doing proper threat modeling, uh, if we have somebody with the, sco- co- uh, the skill set to review that code, having them take a look, have it go through a private bug bounty before it goes to a public bounty. And you know, there's a lot of things we can do, even if it's outside of a paved path to uh, keep something secure. Cool.
2: We just know for sure, like, not some Cisco's new, but like we've done our research and, and we have a, a report out that says the average organization, no matter the size, can can get about 10 to 12% of all the vulnerabilities on their network patched a month right they're they're never going to be catch up so so it's really figuring out if if you know that that your workload is i can patch 10% of all the open vulnerabilities on my network making sure that that you're patching the right 10% and and really really trying to to zoom in and understand and like of course if you have stuff that's publicly facing that becomes super important right away but but it's really understanding what what you can do, because nobody somebody will say that they are. very, I have not met anybody running any organization of any size who is able to keep everything patched. You know, I, I see people who have skunk work projects to, to try to do it or whatever, but everybody always has that you know, that load-bearing server that's sitting under somebody's desk that, that can't be patched so.
1: Yeah. Well, I, and Chris that's did that's mention true. in the, in the comments, right. That Kenna's is going to be able to suck in depend upon, uh, ah, depend about results. Right. That's, I, I mean, that's huge, right. Like moving from just the kind of the surface packages to, you know, what's actually being used inside of a, inside of an application, like you're getting multiple layers deep in order to make that assessment. Um, I can I can only imagine how complex those graphs are getting, right? As far as yeah, like we we've talked about it already today, but yeah,
2: yeah it's it's not easy and Chris and you know Sam and their team are doing a great jobs making sure that that we're we're building that stuff out. So yeah, they've they're doing a great job at for us.
1: Cool. Cool. Um, well thanks for answering that. There there was one other thing that I wanted to talk about today. I mentioned pre-show, uh and that, I mean, it's a little bit off topic from what we've been talking about, but, um, I did want feedback from both of you on it since we are, um, it, we, you've all been in the industry for, you know, a, a number of years, right? I won't date myself quite much, that much today. Um, the burp suite just released a certification for burp suite or port swigger released a certification for burp suite, uh, it's if you haven't seen it yet, uh, it's basically open season on it right now. Uh, if you do it before December and get through and get certified, they will refund the cost of the certification. I think they're pushing that direction. Um, but starting with Jerry, like, what are your thoughts on that? Right. Is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Like, what what do you think about it? Uh,
2: I'm, not as, I'm not a fan of certifications in general. I love my CISSP labs. I, I don't. I don't think that they show value. I, I think that this overall though, I think that this is probably a, a brilliant business move, right? Yeah. I, I think that you have people get this certification and then once they get that certification, they then have a reason and kind of some backing to then go and ask for the for the Burp Suite Enterprise, which I don't know the exact price, but I think it let you know, when it was first coming out, it was tens of thousands of dollars versus $240 for the desktop version, right? Like, so so I think that this is a brilliant marketing move.
1: Yeah, that that's what I'm trying to figure out, right? Is, okay, I like we've all been able to learn how to use burp in the past, right? The The proxy for doing analysis, how to use extender, like there's so many kind of functions within that platform to identify application security flaws and to assess applications. It's great. Um, And we use it on a daily basis. Like I'm not against it whatsoever. I'm questioning whether or not this certification is needed um, for or who is looking for this certification, right? Is this a, you know, Port Swigger, just looking for a little bit more money? Is it for marketing purposes? Is it exactly what you're saying that they're going to start, like they're encouraging people to get the certification so they continue to use it and pull the other higher value products into an organization? Um, I, I'm sure it's going to work out for them. I, I know a lot of people that are jumping down this path just straight off because it is free, this initial. And that's the other thing that was brilliant about it is giving away for free. Uh, it means that there's going to be a large number of people that jump in and get it and then start listing it at the, on their resumes moving forward. But I, I mean, sorry, Ken, your thoughts on it.
0: Oh, uh, I would say um, I don't you I, you could look at it as the way in the way of it being. um Because it sounds like so far the bend here has been on like uh, somewhat of, uh, you know, it meeting a bar for for your resume or something like that. Um, Or in your case, Seth, I think what you're saying is that because you can just like kind of download Burp and get off to the races and read documentation and test vulnerable web apps, there's a lot you can do without needing a certification. I think that for me, uh, outside of those two scenarios, one piece of value uh, for maybe this or i don't know i haven't actually looked into it um, but i think there's one other cert that i i would say so like the offensive security stuff um given its difficulty given its it's its challenging nature given um that uh it pushes you to to expand your skill set Uh, I'm not thinking of it in like a terms of like it being a bar on your resume to reach or for it to be something that you can tout. I'm thinking about it from a pure educational standpoint. And I think from the offensive security side of things, um, it really does. Again, I've never taken a full disclosure. I've never taken the cert, but from what everybody has told me their experience has been, it seems like it's a really good way to stretch your skill set. Now I can't speak to this particular cert, but if it's anything like the offensive security stuff, then there and I would say why I bring up the offensive security one is i don't think any of the other certs it, i i don 't know that they provide any value any other cert really to be honest with you it 's just the ones that really make you technically push yourself uh, though that which is limited, like I said, I think that there's va- educational value there but again i 'm with Jerry from a and, and, I, and i don't please correct me if i 'm putting words in your mouth but if it's if it's like um you know, like you said, you let your CISSP lap, lapse. Uh, if somebody is using that on their resume as like a bar to reach, it probably won't get much, too far, right? Because like, it's more about when you get somebody in, in and you talk to them and what do they actually know? Like what education have they actually provided for themselves Um that's the important part. So that's I, I don't even it.
2: know if it's a resume thing as much as it is a purchasing thing, right? Like, oh if yeah, you, if you get it for free, and then I want to go and buy Burp for my organization, I can then list that hey, I'm certified to be, you know, I'm Burp certified or whatever. So that's why I want to spend this this budget money on Burp Enterprise or or Burp license, right? So I, I think that that I think a corporations. About my time back at Carfax and stuff that paid played a lot into it, right? The ability to be able to to kind of point to something and say, "Hey, here's why I want to buy this. Here's how I know that this software, right? Like, it's not. It's probably less likely to be shelf web, shelfware if you have a certification for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I keep going, I, I keep going back and forth on it, right? Because I, I, I have a lot of college kids that I've talked to or people that are trying to break into the industry and they've all, they always ask about certifications, right? Like what certifications should I go get that would help me in, you know, in my career or help me actually land my first job. Um, and you know, over the past year to couple of years, I've always recommended Burps, you know, web security Academy, right? Like, uh, you know, you want to do application security and know how to exploit SQL injection or find XSS it's a great way to learn. And so this seems like a natural extension to that, but I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Is, yeah. Are you
2: trying to help them learn the skills that they need to be successful at the job or trying to get some, or, or trying to get something that they put on the resume to help get by the AI. So they get to the interview section. Yeah. Right. And I think that those are two, two different, different things. And, yeah, I think if, if Burp Suite's teaching them SQL injection, or the academy's teaching them that, that's great. But I don't know if somebody's going to adjust their, you know, their screening algorithm to, to look for that or not.
1: Well, uh, that's just it, Ken. I mean, I know you get, you hire a lot, and you know, Jerry, I'm sure you're involved in that. Like, would you include that as a prerequisite, or would it
0: would it cause you to actually talk to someone if they had a Burp certification? Well, I mean, for me, I, I would. I, I'd, you know, when you look at it, somebody's um, resume, it's it's funny. It's actually two parts. It's like, and I don't know if everybody knows this, but you know what? I'll, I'll put it out there. Um, it's not just the resume. Like the resume is one part um, of the fold. And so if I see their, if I see that in there, it's like okay, they they have at least touched AppSec, right? And if they're in their in their job, they they've been mentioned they've done E type stuff, then cool. Like that bar that has been met. Now, the next thing I want to do is I want to go look at, and this is the thing I don't know if everybody realizes. Traditionally, it's a little silly. It feels a little silly because there's like usually questions and then you submit your resume. It's like, well, what is your, you know, so some of it feels redundant. Um, I think we, I think we've eliminated a bit of that at GitHub and more of the questions are kind of like, why are you interested? What, you know, what, ha, ha, I don't know, like a lot of like, What's the reasoning behind your desire to work here? And this is the part that actually plays in as much as anything on the resume, because if somebody's lazy about their response and they decide like to give a like, because uh, it seems cool or, you know, because like, uh, or even just like, because uh, GitHub's got Dependabot or something like that, believe it or not, that's like, okay, you're not putting much effort in here. You don't really care too much. You're kind of probably just submitting in mass to various position. So, um, that right there is actually equally as important as any resume stuff, cert stuff. It's, it's, it's a weird thing. You, you, you have to kind of do these initial, like get a feel for somebody before you move them forward in the process. And then once you start talking to people, you know, once you've taken 50 resumes and put them down to like 10 or 15, then, then you start to really whittle down in those, uh, kind of conversations, but I'm interested in Jerry's thoughts here for sure. Yeah.
2: I think it would just depend on what their resume look like. If I'm looking at somebody's resume, it, you know, is this, you know, certification one of 30 that they listed on a resume, right? We've all seen those people who have gotten every certification possible and, and they send you a, you a book, right? Like, I, I don't know that if, you know, let's say you're just coming out of college and you're taking four certifications over the summer, if this would be one of the four that I would take before I started my job, hunting or not um i think it shows that that you're interested in appsec and and i and i don't know what the what the certification is if the certification uh touches on appsec generally like if you pass the certification does it mean that i know what a sql injection is or does it mean i know how to configure burp suite to run a authenticated scan and and that would be something I would have to to figure out as somebody looking at a resume before I gave it any value. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I mean I think you're absolutely right there right? Uh, as far as what does it actually teach you? Does it just teach you to find vulnerabilities without a lot of the backstory, or is it yeah, or is it more comprehensive? Um. Yeah. Anyway, I like I I, I know, and we could probably just talk about it for you know another half an hour if we wanted to. But I, I was interested to, to hear what your take was on it because I, I I think I'm hearing similar things to kind of the reticence I have on it is, hey, it's a good thing, but what value does it actually introduce is the question that I've got. Um, and I, time will tell, right? You know, will it end up being another CISP that everybody has that they all throw into, you know, every algorithm out there looks for a CISP for security, positions even when it you know it doesn't necessarily touch on everything that we need it to but it's the standard right well cool um i i want to be cognizant of everyone's time today right like we have been going for an hour it goes by really quick jerry you know we appreciate you coming on um but before we wrap up for the day uh like my last question to you because it has been a you know probably been a year or so that we since we've had you on which feels strange but um, like what is it like not necessarily from Kenneth's perspective or Cisco's perspective but just you as a researcher in general um, like what is it in the industry that has you excited right now uh, like what is it that you're looking forward to what sort of research where you know what are you looking at what has you excited at the moment
2: so to be honest I'm really excited that uh, it looks like we're starting to see governments take security seriously and, and are letting people who, who have some idea of, of what needs to actually be done kind of take the lead. Um, that executive, uh, whatever that Biden put out, the the executive memo that, that laid out steps, that was actually really well thought out and, and thought through for, for a government document, uh, same things going on in Europe. They're requiring S bombs for for everything. So it, it starts to feel like countries and organizations are starting to take security uh, correctly in, in the right kind of framework at, at that top level. And, and now it, it'll be up to to security researchers and companies to figure out how to make make those valuable. What can we do to make sure that S bomb just isn't another Piece of paper in the back of a document, but something that we can actually use to to, to secure the internet better.
1: Cool. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I was just gonna. Yeah, that's It's an interesting take, right? Like, I haven't I haven't thought about it from that perspective much recently, but I do remember as Biden came out with that, or the Biden administration came out with their list, um, like nodding along with it, right? As far as. Oh wow, like it looks like somebody from the industry is actually involved and it's not, you know, the the Missouri governor that's just standing up there railing against hackers, right? Um
0: yeah. I wanna I wanna put quotes on hackers there. <laughs> hackers.
1: <laughs> Come on, where, where where where's that uh where's that GitHub uh yeah. <laughs> project that allows you to view the source of an HTML page? <laughs> Thought that was on last week's episode. That uh, was
0: hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> cool.
1: All right. Well, good. Uh, it, um, yeah. Let's. Just, I, th- I think that's it for today. Unless there's something else, like Jerry. Any 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 final thoughts? Uh, Ken, uh, what about you?
2: I appreciate you guys having me on.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, I, I was going to say I appreciate having you on. It's really nice to talk to you again too. Like I feel very, uh, very. It's been very rough to keep up with people, even with the podcast. You know, probably sure. doing better than most, but still, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And you're a busy guy too. Like you're man, I I just imagine you you're not a guy to watch TV is what I think about you. Per external. I think you're a person who's always doing something productive. So I try. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, uh, you try the rest of us pretend it's all good, Jerry, right? So <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jerry's actually busy. So no, we appreciate <laughs> your time. Thank you for coming on and it's good to catch up with you again. It's been a long time. Yeah, No problem at all. You guys have a great day. I'll, I'll catch up with you later.
1: All right. Thanks everybody for joining today and we will see you all next week. Please join the Slack channel if you can, and we'll keep the conversation going there. Thanks. Thank
0: you.